the quote I so often think about, and I'm going to paraphrase it, is from Hubert Humphrey, who said, the moral measure of a society is how we treat those in the dawn of their lives, how we treat those in the twilight of their lives, and how we treat those in the shadows and the margins of life. And I believe this bill goes to the heart of how we treat those in the dawn of their lives and how we treat those in the shadows and the margins of society. And so I believe morally, we can't wait. Morally, we have a responsibility. Morally, there is a cost to us and our our values by not pursuing this. But I also believe that the way Many of us take health insurance and its life-saving benefits for granted, but there are thousands of Delaware children who have no viable option for coverage. This means that a, a simple trip to the doctor for an illness, or even to get vaccinated, is not a financially viable option. Representative Krista Griffith and Senator Sarah McBride have unveiled a new plan that would help get these young residents access to the doctors, nurses, and basic medical care that they desperately need and deserve with the Cover All Delaware Children Act. This legislation would provide health coverage to children, including those who are not documented, under a state-run program. We'll hear more about that program from our prime sponsors, Representative Krista Griffith and Senator Sarah McBride, as well as Yvette Santiago of Nemours. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, this is Whip Count. start off, why don't you introduce yourselves and we'll start with Representative Griffith. Um, thanks so much, Genevieve. I'm Krista Griffith and I represent the 12th district, which is the northern arc of Delaware in Newcastle County. I'm Sarah McBride, the state senator for Delaware's first state senate district, uh, the chair of the Senate Health and Social Services Committee, and incredibly honored and excited to be the Senate prime on Representative Griffith's legislation that would expand coverage to many youth who are absolutely deserving of this life-saving care. And hi, I'm Yvette Santiago. I am the director of uh, Delaware Valley Community Engagement at No More Children's Health. And I've been lucky to be a part of this fantastic team for the past year to really think about how we can provide coverage for all kids. Um, and I've been working very closely uh, with our statewide coalition on this effort. So Representative Griffith, why don't you start off by giving us a little bit of background on this bill for those who may not know the full extent of it? Sure, well, so thanks Genevieve. And if you ask me the background, there's really two points of time that are significant. One of them is about a year, like more than a year ago, when Senator McBride and I were approached about this issue and, and its importance. And it was brought to our attention, the number of children who really are um, in desperate need for consistent and routine medical care. But if I really go back to the the origin of this concern for me, it, it was more than six years ago when my son, Nate, turned one years old. He was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia, which is a very vicious form of cancer uh, that required him to be admitted and treated uh, for six months at Nemours Children's Hospital. So for six months, we basically lived in the hospital while he went through grueling chemo treatments. And during that time, um, I saw all sorts of families. You know, I saw families like mine who had the benefit of insurance and uh, good coverage I saw families who didn't have that coverage. And then I didn't see other families. And I wondered, you know, what, what's happening to those children who don't have regular access to treatment? You know, if there's nothing worse than hearing a child cry in another uh, hospital room because his parents aren't there because they're having 
uh, to work and not not able to be with their child in the hospital. And so it makes you think about um, different aspects of healthcare and the needs. And even though I was really in a very tough, horrible situation with my son, we felt fortunate in that we had the ability, my husband and I, for one of us to be at his bedside while he received that care and also to have uh, both of us have strong insurance so that when I decided to leave my profession to take care of him, uh, we could financially afford to do that. And the other thing that struck me about that was I received Nate's cancer diagnosis literally as he was developing cancer. So because he had such fantastic care from his pediatrician and some specialists, we were able to diagnose and discover his cancer really immediately so that the disease hadn't progressed to the point where there was literally, we could have been in a no, no turning back situation. You know, we were able to detect it, find it and start treatment so rapidly uh, that the doctors were able to get it under control. And thankfully I can sit here and tell you that in a month from now, Nate will mark his six year cancer free, uh, you know, being six years cancer free. So, you know, it, it started, you know, the, the issue for me started six, more than six years ago when I was living in a hospital with my child who was very sick and seeing the needs of other children. And so that sparked a deep interest in me in making sure that we provide access to healthcare to all children in Delaware. And then specifically with this issue, I was fortunate to be uh, friends with uh, some folks who work for Nemours who were talking about this and, and a coalition that was building to really look at um, children who have who have had no access to, to routine care because of their their immigration status. So uh, that led me to Yvette Santiago with Senator McBride, and that I'm so happy that that did because Yvette uh, is known to be a tremendous advocate who can bring together so many different people around a topic uh, to really to really bring forth the issue and advocate for it. So that's that's sort of the, the genesis, I guess, of, of where how I got to where I am today. Well, I think that I speak for all of us when I say that we're we're happy that to hear that Nate is doing better and he's healthy and that out of that tragedy could come maybe something that's going to impact thousands of kids that do not have care right now. Senator McVada, I wanted to go to you next because during the press conference, you mentioned that we can't afford not to do that, not to cover these children. And I think that you were referring to something more than just the price. So can you elaborate on that statement and talk a little bit more about that? You know, I always I always tear up hearing Representative Griffith talk about her motivation for this bill. Um, and, you know, it's always powerful to see someone turn their pain and into purpose um, to try to do good and make change for people who desperately need it. Um, and you know when I when I think about this bill and, and specifically the 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 quote that you raised about how we can't afford not to do this, I mean that in both a moral and a, a financial way. Um, you know, first and foremost, we can never forget this bill is about kids. The people, the patients that we're talking about here are kids, and no matter what one thinks about issues surrounding immigration, I think we should all be able to. To, to get around the simple principle that every child's life is worth saving and that no child should be penalized for the actions, regardless of what you think about those actions of a parent, particularly when those parents are simply seeking a better life for them and their, and their families. You know, when I, when I heard um, about this issue first, it was, it was through 
uh, a story about a, a young undocumented person who had a terminal illness and was, was in a condition and a state at that point where sh she could go home. But because she was not able to access coverage through a Medicaid-like program, um, she was forced to stay in the hospital to get what could have been outpatient care, essentially, but or at home care. Um, but because of the limitations around current coverage, was essentially forced to spend the last potentially months of her life in a hospital setting. Uh, I believe that that is just cruel. And ultimately, when a bill comes before me, the quote I so often think about, and I'm going to paraphrase it, is from Hubert Humphrey, who said, the moral measure of a society is how we treat those in the dawn of their lives, how we treat those in the twilight of their lives, and how we treat those in the shadows and the margins of life. And I believe this bill goes to the heart of how we treat those in the dawn of their lives and how we treat those in the shadows and the margins of society. And so I believe morally, we can't wait. Morally, we have a responsibility. Morally, there is a cost to us and our, our values by not pursuing this. But I also believe that the way we are providing care right now, as illustrated by the example that, that, that sparked my interest in this, the way we are delivering care to these young people, because we are delivering some forms of care to these young people, is just inefficient. It's inefficient for their outcomes, and it's inefficient for our overall healthcare system. We are going to have to pay for, for coverage for these young people, and typically it's in the form of emergency care or inpatient care. But we can avoid that if we expand access to the kind of preventative care that is both more cost-efficient and more effective in improving outcomes for these young people. And so I believe that we also can't afford not to act because we are already paying for care. And we're paying for care that is more expensive and less effective. And so we, we have both a moral and a financial responsibility to pass this law, to do better by these kids, but also to do better by the providers who are caring for them. And every Delawarean who is struggling to afford health care, who is struggling to get the kind of care that they need, because we can begin to not just improve outcomes for these young people, but also lower costs, not just for the, their care, but for care overall if we pass this legislation. I think that's very well said and a very important point about the, these costs are coming onto our society in an even bigger way if this isn't something that we can tackle early. So Yvette, with that, um, I wanted to know, these providers that you're working with, what do they have to deal with on an everyday basis? What kind of health concerns are these young undocumented kids dealing with or presenting? Yeah, so thank you. So, you know, I, I echo the comments um, that Representative Griffith and Senator McBride shared because that is the reality. You know, we have kids um, that are not getting the care that they need when they need it. And I think that's probably most important is when they actually need this care, right? And so, um, you know, it runs the gamut. It could be kids that, you know, are suffering from cold and flu-like symptoms, having a medical complexity. And so we know that if you have the cold or the flu and you don't go to the doctor, it's that the, that condition condition can exacerbate itself, right? Parents could potentially be missing work. They're certainly missing school. They're not getting the proper medical, you know, treatment that they need when they need it. Um, and so, 
you know, you have issues with uh, not being able to access dental care services, vision care services, you know, for kids that are medically complex, you know, not being able to afford durable medical equipment that is necessary for them and their quality of life. And so this this is something that um, to the points that have been already made, this is really a moral imperative, right? This is about our children. And, you know, how can anyone turn their back on a child that potentially needs something, right? We would do that if you see a child on the street and they look like they need something, responsible adults will approach that child. Are you okay? Do you need anything? Are you lost? Do you know where your parents are? Like, do you know where you're going? That is what responsible adults do. And this is really no different. And your immigration status should not determine how how you are treated and the care that you receive. The other issue that I think is also um, just as important are our pregnant women that are not getting the necessary medical coverage for children that are going to be born in our very own state that are not getting the care that they need until well into their second and almost into their third trimester. These are children that are going to be born here in the state of Delaware. And we haven't even had the opportunity to provide the necessary prenatal care to those moms that could potentially impact the cost of when that child is delivered and born here in the state. And so, you know, it runs the gamut with medical conditions um, from federally qualified health centers to local clinics to hospitals. Uh, Everyone is bearing the brunt of this, right? And even though there is charity care, even though federally qualified health centers do a magnificent job in our state in caring for our undocumented children, it's not enough. It is just barely scratching the surface. And, and for those um, kids that need more, they're not getting it. And, and so it's, it's important for us to make sure that we act and we act swiftly, but we act responsibly, right? Because these are our children. And if we want our children to succeed in school and be productive adults and citizens in our state, we need them to be healthy. We need them to enter the workforce. We need them to go on to, you know, post high, post high school graduation, whether it's career, military, you know, or college, we need them to be healthy. And we can't expect for Delaware to be as strong as Delaware can be if we're leaving a population that is continuously and exponentially growing. And so this is not just about filling the gap in healthcare. It's about filling the gap in so many other areas that impact our local economy and workforce. And so, you know, that is the reason why, you know, we are um, such great advocates of this, because this really is a humanitarian issue, and we shouldn't be dealing with a humanitarian issue in the U.S., but especially here in our very own state of Delaware. And so uh, for us, it's, it runs the gamut from a simple cold to a medically complex child when it comes to healthcare. Yeah, and you mentioned a point there that you were trying to fill in the gaps. And right now we're dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic still. And one of our big pushes has been to get people vaccinated. So do you think having these families and these kids be closed off basically from our our medical care because of their status, is that affecting vaccination rates? And, And how does that work with children? So, I mean, so vaccination rates have been impacted, right, in our black and brown communities. And so, you know, right now our Hispanic rates are um, trending at the lower end, you know, for our Hispanic population. Um, 
it, it really comes down to education and trust, right? And so we have been doing a lot to educate our communities around the importance of being vaccinated and really busting these myths out there about what the vaccination is and or what it isn't. And so um, we continue to work hard, not just, you know, at Nemours, but all other hospital systems and federally qualified health centers and other leaders in the community, um, as well as our state level officials into, in, into really spreading the word and continuously talking about why it's so important. But we've got to get down to the grassroots level, right? We can have webinars, we can have town halls, we can have things in print. We, we can do all of those things, but it really is going to come down to those trusted voices in the community to say, hey, this is okay. And we have doctors here from, you know, this particular healthcare system to really talk about what your concerns are and how they can answer your questions so that you can feel more comfortable about making sure that your child gets vaccinated. And so, you know, while we still have a ways to go, I think we, we've made some strides, but it really has been that really that grassroots local voice, because these are the voices that the families that perhaps maybe um, are, are less trusting of bureaucracies and government are only going to trust those local voices. And so that's what we continuously work on. And we hope, you know, that we will get there with, with all kids, you know, getting vaccinated once it becomes available to all children. I think that's a good, good point. And Representative Griffith, I know that you were talking about working with some of these same groups and same people as your coalition to get this bill to where it is now. So can you talk about that journey and who you've been working with specifically to get to this point? Sure. Well, there's a number of organizations that are very passionate about this issue, um, not just the community health centers that Yvette mentioned, um, but we should mention them. That would include Lored and the Latin American Community Center and um, a West Side Health, uh, certainly. We have from the medical community, it's it's Lared, West Side Health, the Rosa Health Center, which is another local community health center in the Georgetown area, um, Nemours Children's Health. Um, but we also have other organizations that are not specifically healthcare providers in the sense of a hospital setting, but they do provide health and prevention wellness services at their particular locations. Um, and I think about the Latin American Community Center. I think about um, First State Community Action Agency. Um, and so the United Way, they're doing tons of things around health and wellness. Um, but we also have many other partners through the Delaware Hispanic Commission, the Delaware Racial Justice Collaborative, um, the Arsh Cannon Fund. Um, DSEA is a huge partner because we know the impact of health and education. And, and so we have, you know, also our Spanish media outlets, Community and Legal Aid Society, um, um, La Esperanza down in Georgetown. So these are all organizations that, while they may not be delivering clinical care, Many of them are doing screenings. They're, they're bringing in other health and wellness services to support the families that they're reaching, again, because that local voice matters and is extremely important when you're trying to build trust amongst this population. Yes, and exactly. About, and the other thing about this coalition is that they t touch so many different tangential issues that are so important to this community. You know, you talk about Classy, who works diligently on immigration status and helping these families, you know, do the proper paperwork so that they can live here legally in the United States. Um, the Delaware State Education Association, who's, you know, represents educators who are working with this population every single day in the classroom to make sure that they are learning what they need to learn as required by law. And, you know, you could just imagine what life's like for an educator already in the pandemic who has to see 
you know, children who do have access to doctors and then children who don't and, um, and, and how that could impact the classroom community. You know, I also like to mention that, you know, a lot of people think of people who are undocumented as living in sort of a, a place all by themselves, you know, outside of the, the greater community. And that's simply not true. I mean, what we do know is that often people who are undocumented live with people who are here legally with green cards um, or other, uh, you know, other legal access to the country. And those who are also re legal residents of, you know, who are citizens of the United States. So often you have a family um, that, you know, has, ha that may have different immigration statuses. And, you know, you, an event mentioned earlier, uh, the, the pregnant women, and we are working with the department to try to see what we can do in terms of Delaware accessing federal grant money to cover those pregnant women, because we believe that's also important. Um, but you have a woman who might be pregnant, um, who has a two-year-old or three-year-old or another aged child. And when that woman gives birth to her child here in the United States, that child by virtue of being born here becomes a citizen and that child automatically will then receive the benefits of the, of the health system. Whereas his or her sibling will not, you know, and, and so there you have a, a family with two kids um, who are being treated very differently um, because of their immigration status. And again, the point here is we want a healthy state. We want people to feel well, to be able to um, live healthy lives, to be able to contribute to our um, state in meaningful ways. And by denying access to healthcare to our most youngest, most vulnerable, most tender population, we're, we're not able to provide, uh, provide that to our state. It's, it's something that we need to do. And you mentioned uh, having a healthy state. I know that Senator McBride has been very committed to ensuring Delawareans are covered, whether it's expanding paid leave, expanding telehealth, trying to get dental, more dental benefits for folks. So Senator McBride, how does this bill fit into that profile they've already got going and what draws you to these health care issues? Well, thank you for, for bringing up that, that work because I, I truly believe all of these issues do connect. Um, at the heart of all of the different issues you mentioned from paid family and medical leave to telehealth to the Cover All Delaware Children Act um, is the simple principle uh, that everyone should be able to get the health care that they need to live and to thrive in our state. That we all do better when we all do better. And as we've seen over the last two years, there is no area of life where that simple proposition is more true than in healthcare. And when we can remove the financial barriers to getting healthcare, whether that's by removing the barriers in transportation through telehealth legislation, whether that's removing the financial barriers of families sacrificing their income in order to get the care that they need, whether that's removing the financial barriers to undocumented children being able to get life saving care. When we remove those barriers, we don't just improve the health of the individual patient or their families. We all benefit economically, academically, as Representative Griffith mentioned. We benefit as a state financially. And so we all do better when we all do better. And in healthcare, that simple principle is true. And that's what connects all of these different issues in removing those barriers and improving outcomes for individuals and the state as a whole. Speaking of those improved outcomes, I'll throw this question to any of you because I'm sure that you could all answer this, but what are the tangible benefits of Medicaid coverage for children that's already been demonstrated? Well, I think about this, I again, I'm going to go back to my mom hat here, I guess. You know, 
when you have a baby, you, you get used to like going to the pediatrician, almost like it just becomes a matter of routine for your week, especially when you have a newborn and you get that, you go in for the first week and then two weeks and then six weeks and then six months. And, you know, there's a series of, uh, it, you set up a pattern or a routine of, of healthcare where you are seen and screened for various health conditions right away. You know, and, and if you don't build that into your child's life, then you're automatically not being able to provide basics that, you know, everywhere from how someone's being uh, nutrition to developmental issues, you name it, you know, inoculations for measles, mumps, all of it. Um, and if a child's old enough for a uh, vaccine for COVID. So, you know, you're, you're already starting a pattern of healthy living right when your child is born because that infrastructure is in place. So um, when you're talking about benefits, that's what I see, but I, I'm sure Yvette and Sarah have other things that they, they, they can add to it too. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So I would say um, access and equity, I think, are, are key when it comes to, to Medicaid. You know, one of the key uh, concerns is in healthcare is always how are we promoting access? How are we creating access for those that don't have it? And then how do we make sure that we keep an equity lens on all of this? And we know that healthcare disparities, if you're not creating ac access and it's not equitable, you're not going to move the needle on, on our healthcare disparities that primarily affect our black and brown communities the most. And so, you know, if we, you know, we've repeatedly said as a state that we're doing everything we can to be a more equitable state, right? And we want to close these gaps and ensure that we have this equity lens across all that we're doing. And so, you know, if we're doing that, then, then I think this helps, you know, with this whole notion of what are the benefits, right? And, and again, it's access and equity. And, um, and I would say that, you know, back to in my initial statements is really equity is just providing what, you know, providing the services that are needed at the time that they're needed, right? It's not equal, right? Not everybody gets the same thing because not everybody needs the same thing. You know, I might be thirsty and I can get a sip of water and I'm okay. You know, Representative Griffin might need half a bottle of water to fulfill her thirst. Sarah McBride may need a full bottle of water. So that, that's equity, right? That is making sure that people get what they need um, based on, on um, what's available and, and, and how it is going to actually meet their needs to help them, you know, grow and, and all of the other great things that, that we know, um, care, um, that's, that's accessible and equitable can result in. And so when I think about benefits, that's what I think about. You know, I think Representative Griffith and, and Yvette just summed up the benefits perfectly, um, but, you know, I'll return to something that Yvette mentioned that I think is, is really just worth emphasizing when it comes to the benefits, because I think this is this goes to fundamentally who we are as a state. And I think at our best Delawareans, we think of ourselves as a state of neighbors. And Yvette mentioned that when you see a young person who's lost or struggling, you don't go up to them and ask them what their immigration status is. You don't ask them about what their family does. You don't ask them about their coverage. You just help them. And I think what is at the heart of our values as a state of neighbors is this neighborly duty to care, that when you see someone who needs help, you help them. And that's not just true interpersonally. It's not just true when I'm walking down the street. It's also got to be true in our public policy. 
And so I think we benefit in addition to all the tangible ways that have been discussed, we benefit as a society because we will be able to look ourselves in the mirror as people and as a state and say that we are more fully living up to the values of a state of neighbors, uh, that we are who we say we are. This bill goes directly to that. I think that's a great note to end on. But is there anything else that you would like to add as we close out here? I'm just so thankful to have such wonderful partners in this uh, legislation. I, I couldn't ask for a better Senate Prime than Senator McBride. And Yvette and her team and the coalition that she has built um, is incredible. We are very much looking forward to having this bill heard in first the Delaware, or the House um, Health Committee, and then onward into uh, Senator McBride's committee over in the Senate. And I, I'm sure our colleagues will hear many impassion, many stories that um, from, from people uh, that will be impactful. So I'm looking forward to that and just very thankful for the team that, that we have on this. And, and I can't wait to see uh, where we go from here. Thank you. I, I just want to add that, you know, one of the things that I say to many when we're working on important initiatives, it goes back to th th this, this quote from uh, um, Congressman Lewis, if not now, then when, if not, if not us, then who? And, you know, we, we are committed to this and we will do everything we can through our partnerships and mobilize our stakeholders to see this through um, so that it is a success because we are all gonna be better at in, in the end. And so thank you, this, is, this has been phenomenal and we look forward to our work together. Whip Count is brought to you by the Delaware House Democratic Caucus. You can follow us on Facebook at DE House Dems, Twitter, DE House Dems, and Instagram, also DE House Dems. Make sure you're subscribed to Whip Count so you can keep up to date with the latest happenings at Legislative Hall.